Welcome to Beyond the Hardwood, hosted by Deontay Ferguson, also known as Coach Fergo. And thank you for tuning into the very first episode of this podcast. Today's episode, I'll feature Russ Williamson, assistant coach at Tennessee State University. And if you know Russ, then you know he is arguably one of the best relationship builders in this business. And is someone that values helping anybody that he comes into contact with. So stay tuned as I tap in with Russ coming up next. Russ, how's it going, man? Good, Tay. How are you? All is well, man. All is well. I appreciate you hopping on the show and and being the very first guest on this podcast. Well, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm looking forward to the big things. Everything you do, you do it well. So I'm excited to hear future guests on here. For sure, man. So, man, let's hop right into it. So, Let's kind of start off talking about you a little bit about your background. So you're originally from New York, correct? I am. I am. Rushville, New York is where my uh, father lives now. I still have family up there, aunts, uncles. My brother lives up there. But ironically, my sister, uh, she's a high school principal down about two hours from us in Nashville, Cleveland, Tennessee. So I've got family down here as well. Okay. So you mentioned Cleveland, Tennessee, and that's where you went to school, correct? At Lee University? Yeah, so I, I moved down south when I was 18, started off as a student assistant uh, or a manager at, at Lee, then got moved up to student assistant and was fortunate enough to be on the road recruiting at the age of 19. And at the NAI level, you can live scout. So I was able to live scout uh, future opponents too. So if we played a team on, on Saturday and they played on Wednesday, we could go watch that game live. So gave a gave a good good start. Uh, to my career, but I spent five years up at Lee in my undergrad, and then did a year of my master's there as well. Okay, nice. So, while at Lee, let's let's kind of talk about your time while you were at Lee. So, how how was it, you know, getting into the business and and you know being you know a young kid at 19 years old hitting the road recruiting and you know especially when you don't have the experience. Yeah, it was it was kind of just jumping head first. Um, our head coach kind of told us what he was looking for. I remember the first time I went recruiting was to a, a jamboree at Vincennes. Um, and, and so it was a Chuco jamboree up there and, and went up there with one of our assistants. And basically he had a grading scale, one through five. Um, and, and we were at an MAI school. So, you know, we were looking for D1 players that may not have the grades to go to Division One. Uh, so, so we, we tried to have some elite talent while we were there, but I remember going to the, the Vincent's Jamboree. I went to the Tallahassee Jamboree. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was, it was really just doing what I was asked to do. Like, like I would find a kid maybe to recruit, but it was more one of those things, hey, go out and take a look at this kid, drive, go see this kid, see what you think. Uh, so it was more of, more of doing a lot of uh, grunt work for recruiting. Um, but learned a lot about relationships and, 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 and quote unquote the grind of what it takes to to kind of lock some guys in. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, on top of that, I'm pretty sure you had other, you know, duties and responsibilities that kind of, 
you know, kept you busy, especially while you were in undergrad and getting your master's, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I got promoted to head manager, and then along with the live scouting and live recruiting, I remember doing my uh, uh, student teaching because I, I, I'm certified to teach. Well, I'd have to take the practice again, but I graduated certified to teach history and physical education. And uh, I remember my student, student teaching, we had practice in the morning. So I would have to get up at 4.30 uh, to, to head over to practice. I'd be at practice till about 7. I'd shower quick. I had to be to school by 7.40 where I was student teaching. And I would student teach throughout the day, and then I'd have about an hour after school to do lesson plans. And then I was on the road doing that live scouting, live recruiting, uh, probably two to three nights a week, get home at 11, 11 or 12 at night. And that's kind of when I started drinking coffee. Uh, for that about six, eight week stretch of college. Hey, that that coffee effect is real. I tell people all the time, like I never drank coffee before getting into the business, and when I was at Moorhead getting my my masters, and coffee became almost like a religion to have. You had to have it almost every day. Every day. What's crazy though is I stopped drinking it after that, and then when I hit my my, my early thirties, I started started back up. So I. I got to have a cup every morning. Hey, I'm right there with you, man. So you graduate from Lee, and you become a GA for one year. And then you leave, yep. and you get an opportunity at Tennessee Tech. Correct. And it's funny how, you know, like everybody talks about you're, you're interviewing for every day for a job. Well, I went and started working summer camps when I was, like, 19. I went for Chattanooga's camp, Auburn's camp, Five Star, Wake Forest, Louisville, Tennessee. Um, just drove around and worked as many camps I, as I could. I, I would figure out a schedule, and I would literally just get in my car and drive here to here, here, and, and, and meet as many people and work as many camps. And one of the guys I met working camps was Dustin Kearns, who's now the head coach at App State. Well, Dustin right. used to be the GA at Tennessee Tech. Okay. And he left Tennessee Tech to go to to go to University of Tennessee as a GA. And so I worked at a camp, and when I was up there working at the camp, I wasn't a big guy on going out and doing that stuff. So I've always been an early riser. Like even during this quarantine, I'm up before six a.m. That's just that's just how my body's wired. And so I would get to camp about an hour early, and I would always stay late and just kind of help set up and, and kind of be there. Like I hated just sitting around in my dorm. And, uh, the dorm room that, that I was staying with for camp. And so I'd get there early and help out as much as I could. And he called me up. I remember where I, where I was. It was the middle of May. I was, stand, I was sitting outside of my car just talking to my roommate at Lee. And I get a call from Dustin. says, hey, I can get you an interview at Tennessee Tech. Can't guarantee you the job. What you do from there is on you. I ended right. up going up and interviewing about a week and a half later. And, and two weeks later, I had the job. Okay. So – and, and your situation is kind of unique because you get to Tennessee Tech and you come in as a GA your first year and then you get bumped up yeah. to ops and then from there on you become arguably, you know, one of the youngest assistant coaches in the business. So yeah, so so kind of so kind of so walk us through how how that like that whole route for you came about. So the GA and director of ops position at Tennessee Tech, when I was there, was the same thing. So they didn't have a full-time ops. So they had a GA 
that they it was technically a GA, but they but the title was director of ops. Okay. And so I got my graduate school paid for, and I made four hundred and fifty dollars a month, and they taxed me on it. So really, I made about four hundred twenty-five, four hundred fifteen bucks a month. It was somewhere around there. Right. So I had to pay for rent, I had to pay for food, I had to pay for gas, I had to pay for entertainment, I had to pay for all that stuff out of there. And so that first year was a grind. But my boss at the time, who's now retired, Mike Sutton, learned a ton from an unbelievable coach. But he, he was on uh, Tubby Smith's staff at Kentucky when they won a national championship. Well, Mike Sutton contracted a rare condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And it's a condition that affects, I think it's one in 200,000 people. And it temporarily paralyzes you. It's a virus that temporarily paralyzes you. Well, some people make a full recovery and some don't. Well, he interviewed me from his hospital bed. And when I got up there, he was still in the hospital. So that summer going out recruiting, I was able to actually go out and recruit as an ops guy that summer because coach couldn't go out. So it was very similar to my time at, at, at Lee where I didn't really know what I was doing, but I, but I relied a lot on my relationships from working camps. Right. And uh, and our associate coach at the time, Steve Payne, who actually took over when when Mike Sutton retired, Steve Payne would say, "Hey, go watch, go go watch this team, go watch this team, go to this tournament, and just kind of see who you like." And I took advantage of that opportunity. I ended up getting us involved with a couple higher level guys from from, from buddies that I worked with that I worked camps with, and ended up making the most of an opportunity presented. I was ready. I felt. And that spring, we had a guy leave, and, and I had to go through the interview process because uh, we were a state school, so coach interviewed two or three other guys. Uh, but at the end of the day, he felt comfortable, felt like I had done enough to, to, to prove um, I was ready. And um, so at the time, I want to say I was 23 when I got, when I got bumped up, but um, definitely fortunate. I've worked with some great people, learned a ton along the way. But at that time, man, I was just I was young and dumb and just kind of dove in head first. I've noticed, especially when you're around a team as a GA slash Dobo, is that when you kind of get bumped up, like, you know, obviously as a GA you, and the Dobo, you're kind of like the middleman, you know, players and, and then obviously with the head guy. Um, how was it for you getting those guys to respond to you when you became an assistant coach? Uh, I think you just got to be – you, you got to set a, a boundary. You, you know, there's got to be an expectation of guys like, I love you and I'm here to help you. Um, I'll, I'll do anything I can to help you, but I can't, I can't go against a core value or, you know, if a guy's late for curfew or something like that, that's something that, that the head coach says, Hey, if anybody's late, we got to run. I can't lie for you. Right. And so, you know, you, if, if you're honest with them and you lay out that expectation, um, I think you, you earn respect that way. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, is to, to, you know, ease your way into it. You know, because people aren't going to – players aren't going to listen to you until, until they feel like you care about them. And so and, – and with that being said, there's also another caveat to that, that you have to be knowledgeable of what you're doing. So it's just – it'd be just like somebody going into a new system with a new head coach. You're not going to jump right in and practice and start to be a loud voice in practice when you don't exactly know that system or, or, the, or that coach's style. And so you just kind of got to sit back and learn a little bit and try to, like even to this day with certain guys, there's certain guys that you can call out and practice. And there's, there's other guys that you have to walk over when they're out of a drill and coach them that way. 
And so I think right. it's a feel. I think you've got to have relationships with those guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, basketball is basketball, and, and we're in the people business. And managing egos, managing relationships, I think that's more 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 key than anything. For sure, and that's definitely something I'm starting to learn as, you know, I go into year three of being in this business as well. So, like you said, so while you were at Tennessee Tech, you know, y'all had some success for sure. You know, you were there for eight years. Am I, am, am I saying that right? Eight years? Yeah, eight years, and we averaged close to 18 wins a season uh, when we were there. And, and we had a heck of a staff, man. Steve Payne, what, that year that, that Coach Sutton was sticking in the hospital, Steve Payne coached for half the year. He did such a good job in half the year. He was actually named OBC Coach of the Year by CBS Sports. Wow. Wow. As the, as the associate coach, only coach half the year. Um, so, you know, I was blessed to work with a lot of great people. A lot of assistants came through, um, and, and learn, and, and I still keep up with all those guys. So it's, it's, we had success, but it, but it was because of, we had great people and, and Tennessee Tech's a great spot too. I mean, they've got great leadership. You know, my wife's got a degree from there. She played college volleyball there. Um, I've got a master's degree from them. So it, it I mean, when you, when you've got good, good structure in place and good people, things seem to work out. Yeah. And y'all had some pretty good players. I, I know when I was a freshman at Moorhead State, I believe that year y'all won 20 games just as well. Um, y'all had guys like Kevin Murphy, Judd Dillard. I mean, y'all y'all were y'all were at the top of the league right there with us. Yeah, you know what's crazy is is Kevin Murphy and Judd Dillard. Murph Murph finished second all-time leading scorer at Tennessee Tech, and he was drafted 47th by the Jazz. Judd Dillard finished fifth all-time rebounder, sixth all-time scorer, and those guys had one other scholarship offer between the two of them outside of Tennessee Tech. South Carolina State offered Murph, um, and nobody offered Judd Dillard. But we had recruited Murph for two years and got lucky with him. Um, and, uh, and then Judd, what happened with Judd is Judd was at Mount Zion in, in Jonesboro, Georgia. Well, uh one of his high school or one of uh he transferred to Riverdale and one of his new teammates at Riverdale was Terrell Barnes. Well Terrell was a kid that we ended up signing at Tennessee Tech. Terrell's brother Chris played at Georgia. Right. And so Terrell's like six eight, two thirty, played for the Georgia Stars, really good player. His final his final two schools were us and, and Central Florida. So he was a he was a really good player. Well, he had a lot of schools, Arkansas State, South Florida, Central Florida. All these schools were coming in to see Terrell in the spring or in the, in the fall in September when we could be out. Well, Judd had just moved in to, to Riverdale, and, but he hadn't had a physical yet, so he couldn't practice. So there was about a two-week period from the time that we could be out until Terrell committed to us that, nobody, that everybody that was in to see Terrell, they couldn't see Judd because he wasn't allowed to practice yet. Right. So even during the season, after Terrell signed, he broke his foot. So he didn't play for like two months. Well, we go down to see him in, in um, uh, February, March, like end of their season. And all of a sudden, we look at this one kid, this guard, is hitting threes, rebounding, scoring. Him. I look at Steve Payne, and I said, who is that kid? He's like, I don't know. We need to find out. Right. So after the game, we find out it's Judd Dillard, so we start talking to him a little bit. We go watch him again the following week. He does the same stuff. We ended up offering him and getting him before anybody else knew who he was. 
Yeah, man. I definitely remember those two guys, especially in our uh, matchup, especially in the OVC tournament championship game to, to go to the NCAA tournament. And uh, got to thank y'all for letting us, you know, steal that away from y'all, Russ. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, y'all had a guy named Kenneth Reed that we had no answer for. Uh, no question. Him, DeMonte Harper, uh, Terrence oh, Hill. Those guys play. Yeah, for sure. So, you finish up at Tennessee Tech, and you end up heading to South Alabama. Talk us a little bit through that process, how you got on staff with uh, Matthew Graves, Darnell Archie, those guys, because those are, you know, some guys just like you who I consider to be, you know, mentors. Those guys are some of the best coaches, basketball minds, coaches I've been around. Like, Matthew Graves and Darnell Archie have unbelievable basketball minds from a strategy standpoint, offensive standpoint, and big time into analytics. And, you know, obviously they worked for Brad Stevens. Uh, but the way that job came about was a little unique uh, because most people say when you first – if the first time you're hearing about a job is on hoop dirt, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably already filled. Right. And, I mean, that's what, that's not normally what it is. Well, I was actually down in Orlando um, recruiting, and I actually sat with Matthew, talked to him for like two hours during a game. And I had known him for a while, but we were just literally sitting there talking and nothing comes up about the job. Well, I remember that Sunday night, I think was the 31st of August. I get home and it's like eight o'clock at night. And all of a sudden it pops up on hoop dirt on Twitter. So I text him. I'm like, eh, it's probably filled. I'll just text him. And I just said, Hey, Matthew, not sure if you know what you're doing with that spot, but I'd love to talk about it. He said, I'm going to call you in 10 minutes. And he called me in 10 minutes. He said, he said, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'll be honest with you. I've got two other guys that I'm kind of talking to. Um, so you're, you're a little late, but, you know, if something falls through, well, in the next week we talked four or five times, and it went from being third to this guy's out and this guy's out and ended up getting the job. Yeah, man. No, that's, that's definitely big time, man. And, you know, the one thing I think a lot of people don't realize is how beautiful a campus South Alabama is. I mean, you're 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 on the oh, you're, it is. you're about 45 minutes from the beach. You know, the the food is great. Um, and I mean, the people on that campus, some of the best people that you'll meet ever. Um, and oh, they are unbelievable. You know, yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, you were just down there, right? Yeah. So my wife and I, she she was teaching kindergarten down there, so she still got some friends down there, and then. Then Darnell Archie is the head coach of Mobile now. So we actually went down there last weekend and spent some time with them. Saw, you know, good friends like John Singletary, who who's their equipment manager there. Daniel McCarthy, their deputy athletics director, still keep in touch with, with Joel Urban. But but again, it's it's one of those things like I said earlier, man, when 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 it's not the it's not the buildings, it's the people. And although they've got a beautiful campus, they've got great administration, they've got a great group of people that care. Um sure. and, and it's it's not, and when I say care, I'm not. They care about winning. Obviously, winning's important, but they care more about people and they care more about the student athlete. Like, like a lot of their goals that they put out, or that Dr. Ehrman puts out, it involves GPA, it involves uh, APR retention points, it involves community service. It's all about the student athlete experience, and so the leadership there at South Alabama. You know, they're they're just finishing up a, a, a an on-campus football stadium that should help take that program to a new level. 
I've seen pictures of it, and, man, I'm trying to figure out a way how I can get down there and <laughs> experience that because that, that that thing looks big time for sure. Oh, it is. We drove around it when we were down there. It's unbelievable. Pictures don't do it justice. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so you, y'all were at South Alabama for about five years, and I know I, I was there as well playing under you and Graves and – um, and I mean, had some good players come through, but just couldn't kind of get it going. Um, you know, first year, all you know, is arguably the best player in the conference, um, along with Kim Williams, who came in as as one of the top freshmen um, in the conference as well. So, kind of, kind of talk to the people about how it was coaching those guys because Aug is arguably a NBA player, um, and Kim was arguably one of the the best scores to come through South Alabama. Yeah. And so Augustine Rubin, he he's one of the better post players I've ever coached. I mean, he's got great touch. He can shoot it. What's crazy though is, is I want to say he had only, and you, you play with him the year before we got there, yep. but I want to say he had only made like nine threes in his career in his first three years at South. Right. And he made like, uh, like 30 or more his senior year. So being able to expand his game, you know, Matthew Graves coming from Butler, liking, liking post players and go inside out. But he's done a tremendous job overseas. Um, he, he's done the most with an opportunity. And, and Ken Williams was actually a guy that, that uh, he was one of my position guys. So I, I had a great relationship with Ken and working him out on a consistent basis. He's a guy, 6'2 combo guard, um, could really, really score in a bunch of ways, man. But yeah, like you said, we, we, we just couldn't turn that corner. We were always hovering around that 12 to 14 win mark and just couldn't get over that hump. But when we were let go, I interviewed with Michael Fly at Florida Gulf Coast, and, and one of their ADs, Michael Estes, was on the call. And I was asked a question uh, on the interview that I've never been asked before, and it, it's really stuck with me. And and Michael asked, Estes asked, uh Name a time in your life you've done everything right and things didn't work out. And I said, honestly, the last five years. And, and, and Deontay, you played for us. I thought we treated the players right. Yep. I thought, obviously, yep. the coaches, we were around, one of the best staffs I've ever been on. We brought Brock Morrison in year three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he went on after we got let go to Daytona State and won 25 games, I think, in his first year as a as a head coach, unbelievable staff with Darnell Archie, Brock, myself, and Matthew. Right. Um, yep. and, and, and then our ops was Andrew Steele, like just unbelievable people. And we just couldn't get it turned. And, and, and we graduated all of our players. We didn't, we didn't lose. We had like three years straight of perfect APR. Um, we didn't have major discipline issues off the court. I felt like we ran a good program. We just, the wins weren't there. We did everything else but but stack the wins. I mean, it's tough, like you said, when you do everything right, but the wins is the deciding factor at the end of the day. Um, so, like you said, y'all were there for five years. After five years, get let go. Um, and then you kind of have that time where, you know, you're, you're looking for the next gig. How long was it before you actually got on at Tennessee State? Yeah, before I chime in there, Deontay, let me let me say something else because again, this is how close the margin for error is in, in college basketball. So that last year we're at South before we got let go, we were sitting fourteen and twelve. 
We had just won on the road at App State. We are tied with Georgia State for second place, but we had beat them at our place, so we own the tiebreaker. We are up six on the road. We're the youngest team in the league. Okay, right. our Two of our better players were sophomores that year. One of them was preseason player of the year this year, and the other one was preseason first team all league for Richie Riley at, at South. And so we were just, we were really young. So we're 14 and 12. We're up six on the road at Coastal Carolina with a minute 12 to go. And we just crumbled. We lost that game. And it, when we lost that game, it was like our entire win just got sucked out. We ended up going 0 and 5 the next five conference games regular season, got beat first round of the tournament. So if we would have won that, we're 15 and 12. We've won five in a row. We're in second place in the league. Momentum starts to turn a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you lose that, and then you come home and don't play great at home, and end up going, end up losing your next six in a row, and, and end up getting let go. So the margin for error is so small. You know, I my my financial advisor used to be a uh, college college coach at a junior college, and his dad was a uh, Division One head coach at Wyoming and, and Western Carolina. And his dad, I've, I've had dinner with his dad, and his dad would always say, you're, you're a, a big three away from being a millionaire, and you're a turned ankle away from being in the unemployment line. For sure. But after we, after we got let go, again, another unique situation, man. Like, I, I, I started to – I wrote down about 100 coaches that I felt like were in the know of, of – that I was close with, but also people that were in the know of in the Southeast of, Hey, I heard this job's open, heard this job's open, heard this job's open. So when we got let go, we were still going to the office for a little bit because Dr. Urban wanted us to make sure players were going to class, that kind of thing. So we were still going to the office. Then once they hired Richie, uh, we stopped going to the office. And my routine after that was I'd, I'd get up in the morning, I'd go work out at the rec center. I'd meet Andrew Steele over there. We'd get a quick workout in and then I'd get back home. And by about nine, I would get my uh, recliner and I would just go through that list of, of 100 coaches. And if I got through 25 that day, then I would start with number 26 on that list. And so I was calling those guys usually, you know, three times every two weeks. And it wasn't like, hey, hey, do you have a job? Like, hey, have you heard anybody else? Have you heard anybody else? I heard this. I heard this. Have you heard anything? And so you, you, you get a lead on something, then you make a call there. You get a lead on something else, make a call there. So you just kind of got to be relentless. And, and you know, Kevin Devitt, who's, who, who was on UAB staff that got let go, I heard him on Rising Coaches talk about staying in the middle of the ring. That's so true. You just got to th- – this this profession, I spent 14 years in it before we got let – or 13 years before I got let go. And a lot of people that doesn't happen to. And so I've been blessed. I'm fortunate. Good Lord is taking care of me and taking care of my wife uh, and I. But it's – you just got to stay in the ring. And, and, the, and how I got on with Penny – is I've known Penny since my days at Tennessee Tech. He was an assistant at Cumberland University and used to put on a an all-star game in Nashville for seniors in Tennessee. Okay. So we met through that, and we would stay in contact. Like if I saw him on the road, we, we'd dap up, we'd talk for a minute. But he wasn't a guy that I talked to a lot on the phone, right. but we knew each other well. Well, he worked alongside one of my best friends, Frank Davis, who at the time was the director of ops at East Tennessee State, where Penny had coached at, and Frank's, Frank's just got on at, at Wake Forest with Forbes. Well, when Penny got the job, Frank and I were talking, and he's like, yeah, Frank's like, he's offering me the job, but his wife just got, they just found out she was pregnant, 
they weren't ready to, to make that move. And so I called Penny, and, and he was like, you know, Russ, I've, I've got three or four people in mind, but if something changes, I'll let you know. And so I said, okay, didn't think anything else of it. And then that Tuesday, probably two weeks later on a Tuesday, I remember Frank called me at like 10 o'clock at night and said, hey, have you talked to Penny at all lately? I said, no, why? And he said, I don't think he's hiring anybody yet. And so he struck out on two or three guys that he that he was trying to hire. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually, let me rewind a little bit too, because I was going through, my mother had just passed away as well. That's right. So I was, yeah, she lost her battle to cancer after two years. So I was I was battling trying to find a job and then trying to, to help my dad close the, close the estate. I was flying back and forth to New York handling that stuff. And so Penny and I talked, and he said, he said, I want you to come up this Tuesday and sit down and talk with me. And I said, I'd love to, Coach, but I've got to go back to New York. He said, okay, that's fine. Let's just put it off uh, for a couple of days. And that had happened to me on, on another job um, that I was involved with and I ended up going in a different direction. So I was hoping that didn't happen. And luckily, Penny stuck to his word and said, you're good. Handle your business. So when I got back, I immediately drove up there. We sat down and talked. He said, Russ, this has been a grueling process. I know you, you're, you're well-connected, people speak highly of you. I need to know by tonight if you want the job. And so it's in Nashville, my wife's family's from here, and so I called her and said, hey, what do you think? And she said, well, what do you think? I said, I like Penny, I, I feel good about the staff, let's do it. And it ended up being one of the best decisions for me to grow um, as a coach, as a player that, that I've ever made. Uh, coach Penny's one of the best I've ever worked for, I've learned more in the last two years uh, because of some of the responsibilities he gives me to branch out. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be here, man. He's really, really good. Our staff's good. We have two assistants, Jerry Nichols and Ben Walker, that were just uh, rated top 50 uh, assistants in the country by Silver Waves Media. Uh, so we've got an unbelievable staff and uh, excited to see what the future holds. No, nah, for sure. Let's get to the the side of you in regards to, you know, you being one of the top relationship builders in this business. Um, you know, that's one area that I've, you know, recognized about you. And that's one area that almost any coach in the country that knows you or has a relationship with you can say. Um, how important is it for you to have those relationships? Because, you know, the one thing that you do hear a lot in this business, you see it on social media all the time. You see it, you know when you talk with other coaches, everybody says, man, to have success or to be a successful coach in this business, you, you got to build genuine relationships and, you know, with the emphasis on the genuine part. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Cause sometimes I feel like that word can get thrown around a lot. And there's a lot of people that aren't in it to build genuine relationships. You know, they're kind of in it to, you know, help themselves continue to climb the ladder. So what does it mean for you? Because you're somebody that values helping others that, you know, even if that means, you know, not necessarily helping yourself. Well, I think we're in this business. It's a people business. It's a relationship business. I mean, take a look at, take a look at our relationship, Tay. You busted your tail for us for two years when I was at South Alabama. And so you gave your heart every day to what we were trying to do. You believed in what we were trying to do. And so why would I not return that favor? And so, like, you know, you hear coaches say all the time, you're interviewing every day. Well, players are too as far as uh, what kind of relationship you want with the people you play for when you're when it's all said and done. Right. I'll help any player if I can. 
But I'll tell kids all the time, like, hey, if you're continuously late, like, I'm not lying to pro scouts. You smoke weed or you you don't push in the weight room or you're not a great teammate, I'll help you any way I can because I care about you want to see you succeed in life, but I'm not lying for you. That's not who I, that's not who I am. Right. And so we talk about we talk all the time to our guys about making the right decisions. Um, we had a saying this year in recruiting that that better people make better tigers. And so you know, like I said earlier, when talking about you know some of the administrations I've worked for at Tennessee Tech in South Alabama, now here at Tennessee State, when the infrastructure of people are there and, and, and the motives are right and people care about other people, it's people helping people. I think I think success follows that. So so I, I try to pour into other people because, you know, I, I would want them to do the same for me. And so, you know, just based on our relationship that I have with you, Tay, is I, I try to help you any way I can because you worked hard. You were coachable. You did everything we asked. So when people call and say, Hey, should I hire Tay? Yeah, you should. And you shouldn't think twice about it. He'd be the best at it. And so, you know, players are interviewing for that for, for their for their spots as well. For sure, man. I appreciate those words. And um, let's kind of talk about the system you have in, you know, building your relationships or just kind of staying connected with the people you come in contact with. So kind of talk to us about that real quick. Yeah, you know, I think I think you've got to be strategic about it. And so, like, like you as a GA, Tay, well, who are you communicating to on the road for, for uh, to get – practice times and that kind of thing. You were talking to either video ops yep. or one of the assistants, right? Yep. Dobos, video assistants, well, that, GAs. So that's your network. Everybody you talk to, you should have written down and you should be reaching out to those people because those people are going to become associate coaches and then head coaches. And that's how your contact grows. So, so I'll give you an example. So one of my good friends in this business is a guy named Brian Garrity that's at Mercer. Brian is the deputy athletics director at, at Mercer, he's second in command there. And Brian and I were roommates at Five Star 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So we've stayed in contact throughout this time um, because we spent time together at, at, at camps. And now he's an AD. Right. Well, the system to keep in touch with those guys, if I didn't keep in touch with him as a – as an assistant or when he was, when he was in college coaching or after five star, then I can't just pick up the phone now and just call him. Right. You've got to build relationships for the future. So my, my, my plan and my, uh, what I do is I try to call a former player every day. I try to call someone in the media, you know, whether that's, you know, someone that works, writes for ESPN, someone may write for a local newspaper, somebody that may, uh, run a recruiting service, somebody in the media. Okay. Um, I try to call a college coach every day, whether that be a Division One, Division Two NAI coach. Just call a head coach every day. Now during the season, I I don't call as many head coaches during the season because they're busy. So I may send a text, "Hey, good win last night. Hey, I saw you guys sign this kid. That's big time. Um, congrats on, on 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 being inducted in the Hall of Fame." You know, find ways to connect. And uh, I call a college assistant every day. I call an AU coach every day, and I call a JUCO coach every day. And that is outside of my uh, recruiting call. So if like if I if I've got a kid that's got an AU coach with Team A, and uh, well I'm not just going to wait till his name comes back up to call him again. I've got to call him on a regular basis because uh, I'm recruiting that kid. But but I try to reach out when I don't need something. So when I do, I can ask. Right. You know I've heard people talk about have a relationship with somebody for a year, 
before you ask anything in return. And so, you know, some people say, well, the system seems a little uh, ingenuine, doesn't seem as real. No, it is. It just helps me stay focused. It helps me on a plan um, so that I can connect. And, and I'll spend time uh, researching people. If I see somebody, like I said, they, they got a good commitment or something like that, I may get on their website and see what's, see what's being said. Maybe there's a quote about some community service. Hey, man, I, I really like what you guys did over at the YMCA. That's awesome, man. Keep doing big things. And you just leave it at that. It may be an email. It may be a, a letter in the mail. It may be a call. maybe a text. Um, you may text someone and say, hey, coach, I don't need a call back. I was just thinking about you. Pray you and your family are doing well. And you just leave it at that. And so, you know, we're building relationships for the future. But this business, every, every, every step that I've been has been all about um, the ability of someone else that, that's helped me get a job. Let's kind of talk about, you know, you being at Tennessee State and, you know, you're, you're obviously, you know, white coach. Um, how's that experience been for you? You know, because this is your first stop at an HBCU school as a as a white coach. So kind of walk us through, you know, that that window, you know, because obviously with everything that's kind of going on in the world and um, what has it done for you personally? You know, personally, Deontay, I think the, the, the one of the things that's prepared me to be a head coach uh, with being here at TSU is it's it's helped me become more comfortable in my own skin. And what I mean by that is like you hear all these head coaches say sometimes you feel like you're alone, you're on an island. Mm-hmm. Well, I've never known what it's like to walk into a room and be a minority. Right. My first month on campus, that's a hard adjustment. And so seeing the lens from the other side, that's never something I've ever had to experience. And so when you walk into a room and all eyes are on you, like I had a woman come up to me one time and say, hey, can I get a picture with you? I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, I I don't see white people very often. I'm like, well, come here. Let me give you a hug. We'll take a picture. (laughs) And so like it's one of those things that that it's helped me become more comfortable in my own skin. Um, But on the flip side of that too, Deontay, is, is I'm from New York. And, you know, the, the way I was raised, um, you know, obviously we see skin color, but you don't see, you don't judge based on that. You, 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 you see a man, he's a man. Mm-hmm. Now he may be a black man, but he's, he's a man. Right. And, you know, my father, my father remarried, he, he, he remarried a woman from Jamaica. And, and my only question to her was, do you know how to make Jamaican beef patties? You know, it's like, we, he's a, He's a minister. We grew up accepting everybody. We had so many different cultures and so many different people that that growing up that, that my parents would let stay at the house for two or three nights to, to help them get back on their feet that, that we just accepted everybody. Right. And so I, I didn't see racism growing up. I didn't see it. I didn't see it until I moved down south to Tennessee when I was 18 years old. Then I started to see some of it. Right. I didn't feel it until I started working at, at, at TSU. And I see the way our players get treated sometimes. I see the way that when we're at an airport that we get profiled. Not not me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm white, so I walk through, and then all of a sudden I look behind, and two of our two or three of our players are getting frisked. And so I stop and walk back. I'm like, officer, is there a problem? Oh, no, we're just, they're just random searches. I'm like, yeah, random. I, I feel you. Uh, and so I, I feel it here at TSU. And, I, and I'll give you this example, Tay. I don't know if you remember this last year at the OVC tournament. 
we were getting ready to play y'all. We get off the bus, and, and, it, and this story will tell you how naive my family is that we just never saw racism growing up. My father's down for the for the OBC tournament game, so he's staying at my hotel, uh, or I got, he's staying at our hotel. I got him a room, and my wife's up, and all the coaches' wives are on the bus, including my father. Well, my wife and my dad are the only two white people on the bus, or on the uh, in the with the coaches' wives. So we get off the bus and we walk in the team entrance. So all the wives walk in, all the coaches walk in. And the lady there says, whoa, 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 players only. So they make all the wives stand to the side, which I didn't think anything of that. So we're standing there, and they're like, we're going to take you up to so – we're going to have security take you up to the ticket gate so you can sign in, you guys will be fine. Okay, cool. So I tell my wife, okay, I'll see you. We go. Well, come to find out, Moorhead State walks in about three minutes after all the coaches had walked by and the coaches' wives are sitting there. Morehead State walks right by and not a word said about any of the wives or kids or anything. Mm-hmm. Not one word. Right. So our wives have to get escorted up to security, okay? And I didn't know this was going on at the time. My wife told me afterwards. So after my wife tells me, you know what my dad says to me, Tay? He goes, what was that? I said, Dad, that's racism in the South. Yeah. He was that naive, like, like just didn't know. Right. And so being here at PSU, I've actually felt it. And I see what what our guys, some of the struggles they go through on a daily basis of being judged based on what they are, not who they are. Um, the crazy thing about that is, you know, I actually remember that encounter. Uh, I was, if I'm not mistaken, you all were getting off of the bus, um, and we were actually waiting on you all to enter the building, the Ford Center. Um, and I was so tunnel vision on just, you know. It's a conference tournament, you know, possibly the last game of the season. And who would have thought, you know, something like that was actually going on, man. So that's that's crazy. So let me ask you this, and this would be the final thing, man, to kind of wrap it up. Because um, obviously in the wake of everything that's kind of going on in the country, um, how do you feel that coaches such as, you know, yourself and myself as well should be using our platforms to – you know, support what's going on, especially when a majority of the players we coach are black players. You know, I've always and and it kind of has ties to, you know, the reason the name of the podcast is Beyond the Hardwood because, you know, some things are deeper than basketball. How do you think we should be using our platforms? You know, I think at the end of the day, man, like I, I think that this world we just need to to be the change we want to see, and that goes from treating people with respect. Um, you know, I may not agree with somebody else's opinion, but that doesn't mean that, that I, I treat them any different. Right. Um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of different views in the world on, on, you know, marriage and, and stuff like that. And just because I may disagree with someone doesn't make my way right or your, or their way right. America's land of the free. I mean, we should have options. We should have choices. That's what makes America great. Um, but, but. I think we, we need to continue to educate our players, encourage them to vote, um, and yes. just continue to form their, in their lives and show them that, that, that they, are, they are people and they do make a difference and their voice matters. And if we can model that behavior and, and like I said, be the change we want to see, I'm part of two, uh, two committees right now. One of them is Embrace Us that Penny Collins, our head coach, started. 
Um, and the other one is Coaches for Change that Carmen uh, Mazzarello, head coach at Siena, started. Um, so I, I'm learning, I'm educating myself, and I'm trying to uh, find ways to engage and empower our players to, to be changed and, and, and to have a voice and make sure that their voice matters. Well, Russ, man, I appreciate you hopping on the podcast. Man, I admire what y'all got going on over there at TSU and the success that y'all have brought to that program in such a quick, you know, turnaround time. So I appreciate you taking the time out, man, to hop on the show with us. Uh, no, nah, man, you know, you're, you're one of the best in the business, and, you know, I, I can't wait to continue to follow your success and continue to build our relationship, man. I appreciate it, man, and obviously pulling for you and now – Tusculum's got a new fan, man. I'm 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 excited for you, man, and and I can't wait to 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 see your success down the road, man. Obviously, you if you need anything, you know we talk every other day. But if you need anything, man, you feel free to hit me. Alrighty, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate. It. Thanks again for tuning in to Beyond the Hardwood. A quick reminder to subscribe to the show and leave a review. And until next time, remember life goes beyond the hardwood.